All right. It's, um, it's a special day today as we have our communion Sunday. I would like to do a little game, since the kids are here in the room as well. And I'm going to divide up. This is the, for my, the right part of the church. This is the left part of the church. And we're going to do something, and you have to be a bit spontaneous. So for those of you that think a little bit too much, this might not come too easy for you. All right? I want to give you in one word, in one word only, I give you a name of a famous person or a Bible figure. And then within three seconds, and all of you, you can scream out loud, that's fine. I want you to give you the first reaction, the first thing that comes to your mind when I give that name. Okay. Fair enough? Yeah. Fair enough? Yeah. All right. I'm going to start with this group. I'm going to give you the name. And be honest here. Donald J. Trump. Go. I heard a lot of things. Did you guys hear a little bit? Can you say it a little bit louder? One more time. One, two, three. All right. We go to this side over here. And some of you might not, but I think they will know. Martin Luther King. All right. Beautiful. I think we're getting it. All right, let's go to this side again. I'm going to give you a Bible figure this time. I see Adam already looking like, where is this all going? It's like, <laughs> Noah. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to go to this side over here. The Apostle Paul. I saw Adrian saying prison. That doesn't sound very attractive. But, oh my goodness. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Now I'm going to do it with all of you. With all of you. Both of them together. It's this person. Jesus Christ. All right. So we all have some sort of picture in our mind of something that's really, really important about a certain person, right? We are given a certain characteristic. Now we go a little bit beyond that. Alright? So we talked about Jesus. We talked about several people, so to speak. And there's something that immediately comes up in your mind. Alright? Now I'm going to ask you this. What do you think the average person on the street thinks about what is the central teaching I'm not talking just about the person the central teaching of, of Jesus golden rule golden rule love, love. people on the street is that what you said? yeah people on the street like christian non christian doesn't matter anyone condemnation condemnation help me out here rules rules, rules. rubbish can i hear the youth a little bit <laughs> Shame, something else. There are many things, right? There are many things. Anyone else? Just one more, just, just to round it up. Fairy tale? Now, let's suppose it's a Christian there out on the street. What would he probably say? Religion. Religion? Ah. 
All right, beautiful. Now let's let's draw it a little bit closer. If I were to ask you, remember when Jesus came to these disciples, what do people say who I am? And they gave him all kind of, oh, Elijah, a prophet, a teacher. And so they got this beautiful. And then he suddenly changed the questions like, who do you think I am? And all of a sudden, most of the disciples, except Peter, of course, um, became very quiet. Now, if I were to ask you that same question, what do you think would be the central teaching of Jesus? Love. 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 That's amazing. We have a certain understanding through which we look at Jesus, through which we look, obviously, at the Bible. And if I were to tell you that it's all about forgiveness of sins, would you, would you concur? Would you agree with that? Yes or no? Yes. Would that be one of the central teachings? Yes. All right. Uh, one of the central teachings about eternal life and no more death, would you consider that the central teaching of Jesus? Yes. Going to heaven? Yes. Oh, I, there, was, there was a little hesitation there. That was an interesting one. I'm sorry? We don't talk a lot about that. Yes, that's true. Um, what, what about this one? Good morals, wisdom, and purpose. Would you would you say, yeah? Yes? Beautiful. But now my question is, what do you think that Jesus thought that his central message was? Because we can we can think of all kinds of things, and we say it's love, it's this, it's that, and obviously all of the above, so to speak, if it were a multiple choice question, probably that would be all true. And everybody would get a straight A and you're all graduated. But the thing is, when Jesus came himself, he actually defined himself what was the most important message that he preached and he also demonstrated. What do you think it is? Well, if you read in Matthew 4, verse 17, and I think uh, David already projected it on the screen somewhere. You might not have. He says this, and this is where his ministry started. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, in the other Gospels it says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he constantly... If something was a nail, the kingdom of God would be all the time that nail. And he would be hammering it down all the time. It was about the kingdom of God. What about the gospel of Mark? Well, in Mark 1, 14, 15, it will be on the screen again. It says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming what? The gospel of God. And what is the gospel of God? The good news saying the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you see a pattern here? All right. Let's move on to another one. Luke, third gospel. He even starts to define it a little bit more, what this whole kingdom of God thing is about. And in Luke 4, 18, he basically gives his mission statement. You know, sometimes companies, they have a mission statement, what they're standing for, what they would like to achieve. That is what Jesus is doing here. He says basically this in Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel, right? To whom? The poor. To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
Seems really, it almost sounds like social justice and being good to your neighbor and the golden rule, so to speak, and helping the poor and the sick and the, you know, those that are without hope and so to speak. It's interesting. This whole concept of the kingdom of God. But when you think of the kingdom of God, when you, word, when you think of the word kingdom, what usually comes to your mind? Anyone is here from the UK? Yes. All right. Well, you can all understand the concept of kingdom. I'm from a country where we also have a kingdom. We have a king. Obviously, you don't have a kingdom, you have a queendom. You have a queen that uh, is reigning over a vast empire of the commonwealth of the nations. And, but we know that it is in a specific place, in a specific time. Right? So when we hear the word kingdom, we usually think of a specific place. And a specific power that is, uh, you know, that is part of that place. But when we think of the kingdom of God, as we were reading about it, the easiest way for us to understand is not so much a place, but it is his rule, God's rule and reign over everything and everyone. Can you try to capture that? It's his rule. It's not so much a place where I'm looking for the kingdom. Can I see the kingdom somewhere? But it is a rule, a general rule over everything is creation and includes us people as well. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God is so important for us to understand. Just look at a couple of Bible verses really quickly just for you to see how important it was for Jesus. Luke 4.43, Jesus said this. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Wow. Jesus came because he loves people? Of course. Check. Check the box. Did he come to forgive people of their sins? Of course he came. All of that stuff is true. Does he want people to have, be forever with him in heaven? Of course he wants that. But the reason why he came was because he was announcing something that got lost in translation. The kingdom of God. That was his mission. As a matter of fact, that kingdom of God, that for some people they couldn't fully understand it. He had to tell many stories. We call them also parables. You know stories where he was comparing a real life situation and that would apply then to that rule and reign. Also Jesus said in Mark 9.47, he says this. This is very interesting. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Wow, that's quite radical, isn't it? It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Talking about strong words. And, 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 a, and a warning, so to speak. He said, like, you know, if you want to go into this place where God is ruling over everything, walk away from everything in your life that could compromise that. Yeah. That's quite strong what Jesus is saying here. Mm. All right, so let's, let's just recap. Let's just go back to Matthew 4, 17 one more time. It says, can you have it on the screen? Mark 4, 17. Let's read it together. Mark 4, 17, do you have it, uh, David? I gave him so many Bible texts, it's like this pastor is crazy. I'm just giving... There, no? All right. Well, I will do it myself. It goes like this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
We understand that what Jesus wanted to do had everything to do with eternal life, heaven, forgiveness of sins, no more death, no more pain. But I, can I also tell you that everything that Jesus did, and when you read the gospel stories, actually that is all part of a bigger story that sometimes gets lost in translation, which is obviously about the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you a question. Does God rule in Australia? Everywhere. I will get to that. Does he rule in Perth? Question. Does God rule in Perth? Yes or no? Be honest here. No. Oh. Does God rule in Dianella, the neighborhood? Shall I read you a Bible verse? Very interesting. In Psalms 24 verse 1, it says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So if I read this Bible verse, and if I were to ask you the question again, does God rule in Australia? Yes. Does God rule in Perth, even though it comes closer to home, and we see all stuff around us that doesn't necessarily match up with God's kingdom? The answer would still be yes. yes. Does God rule over Dianella? The answer is yes. But then obviously the question comes, and I hear it so many times. If God rules over all the earth, why is there so much injustice, pain, and suffering present? Why can't I always see that beautiful kingdom that he's talking about? Any of you sometimes has this question? I know I have. When I see suffering around me, and sometimes it comes really close to home, I sometimes wonder, where is this kingdom? So that brings us to the question, so God rules, but where does God rule? Well, we read in Colossians 3.15, it says this. Yes. And let the peace of Christ rule where? Where? Say it, hearts. Ruling your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And Colossians 1.27, Paul said even this. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. Which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Where does God rule? He rules in people. It does not mean that there is not a fight going on between good and evil. We can all see that around us. It's so obvious to see injustice, poverty, sickness, and so many other things that we think like, you know, when is it all going to end? And obviously Jesus has a final solution for that, where everything will be brought under the rulership, under the lordship of himself, of, of Jesus Christ himself. But till that time, what he is actually trying to do is a rescue mission that goes from heart to heart to heart. He wants people to voluntarily, by their own admission, say, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ. He is my king and he is my savior. So how is God establishing that rule and reign over the earth in people's hearts? 
Well, for us to understand that, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. We know the creation story. I've shared it many times that God made human beings in His image. image. And He gave them a beautiful relationship with one another. But it was all founded, first of all, in the relationship with Him, with God Himself. And it didn't just stay there. They were made in His image. They had an intimate relationship with God and they knew each other. It didn't just stay there. He also gave them a beautiful assignment to rule and to subdue the earth. But we also know that everything went wrong when sin came in. And man chose, not because God wanted that. He didn't want that. He gave the choice to disobey Him. And that affects us till the day of today in three major ways. Instead of this image of I am a child of God, we took on an identity as sinner. We all can relate to that, right? And we all experience guilt, so to speak, when we were born into this world where we know that we have done something wrong, living away from God. On top of that, that intimate relationship with God got severed very badly. We come into a world where we are looking for love because something is intrinsically wrong in our own heart when we are living apart from God. And on top of that, we are experiencing shame because of it. We think that we are wrong in our very own being. That's why we approach sometimes other people that we try to be intimate with and I'm not just saying sexually, I'm saying like actually getting to know the person let's say it's a friendship mm. how often do we become so careful, it's like well I'm not sure if I can trust in, trust in that person because if that person would know who I really am, what was really going on here probably that person wouldn't love me anymore mm. another word for that is shame yeah. I am wrong and then finally, of course, part of the bad news of things that went wrong is that mankind, he forfeited, he, he gave away the authority that God had given to them to rule over the earth. God continues to rule over the earth, but he wanted to do it with his children. He wanted to do it together with you and me. It went all wrong. But the good news is that Jesus reverted all of that. And it actually answers three questions that all of you and everyone out there on the street have. The first question that everybody asks himself, herself, who am I? Who am I really? It talks about identity. It, the second question that everybody, doesn't matter whether they're a staunch atheist or a born-again Christian, doesn't matter, is this question, whose am I? I am relating to whom here in my life? I'm not just a single passenger that is cruising through life all by myself. I want to belong to somebody. And finally, the big question that many people have, what am I supposed to do on earth? What is my assignment? What is my mission? The beautiful is that those three questions shouldn't be a mystery for us as Christians. 
We are discovering it, so to speak, but it shouldn't be a mystery to us. Because Jesus, when he announced that he came as a king, because that was his arrival, he said, repent, turn around, walk away from sin, walk into my direction, walk into God's direction, and believe the good news. What good news? The good news that in me, when you believe in me, your identity is secure. You see, every one of us, we define ourselves, whether we admit it or not, by the story that makes sense to us since we are born. Our youth experiences, childhood memories, the way we were raised, our working experience, our intimate experience, all of that stuff, we kind of like create a story in our minds that we tell about ourselves that we believe to be true. But the problem is because we need to be born again, Every single person needs to be born again. That story needs a correction, so to speak. It needs a, a, actually a total overhaul. Because there might be things that you might be saying to yourself, I'm not saying to anyone here in the room, in general, that you have been saying to yourself about yourself that are simply not true. For instance, for many years, I struggled big time with insecurity. And for as much as I'm standing here and I feel quite comfortable in speaking in front of people, which is the number one fear of many people, I struggle with that. And as a matter of fact, when I would be, let's say, interviewed for a job or so to speak, I would be, have you ever had that experience that you would get cold feet and your mouth would get dry and you have no idea what you're going to say? And just an extreme example, so but everybody can relate to that one way or another. Well. Over time, where I realized, like, wait a second, my identity is not defined by what people might be saying about me, but what about Jesus is saying about me. Now, that was a discovery that took some time, that didn't go just overnight like that, but it started to define me more and more. And those voices of condemnation, whether it was me or whether it was somebody else that might have said something unwillingly or not, those voices started to wash out in my life became less important. So what did Jesus do? He gave us our true identity. You're not defined by your mistakes and your failures. You're defined by who he says he is in you. Amen. Secondly, he opened the way back to the Father. He didn't just open the way back to heaven, what people make sometimes of it. It's part of it. But he actually opened the way, John chapter 14, he says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to heaven. Does it say that? Yes. No, it doesn't. It says nobody goes back to, you know, comes to the Father, but through me. That relationship that was severe by sin, that distance, that shame about, oh, I'm so wrong. I am a nasty sinner. That was overcome by what Jesus did. And when you simply are rooted in that identity in Him, things start to completely shift. Amen. And on top of that, it even gets better than that, He invites His disciples, that means you and me as well, into that story of God to rule with Him again. And it's particularly this final element of the good news that got so lost in translation, I believe. So what does it have to do with you and I? This whole kingdom of God thing. Well, because the king has come, we can find our true identity in him. I already said it. 
We are truly loved. We don't need to look for love and affection because we think that's the human thing to do. It's already settled. When that love of God is not the driving factor of everything in your life, there will always be vulnerabilities where you will be consciously, subconsciously looking for that love. Well, newsflash, no human person on earth can feel that love. We hear those love stories sometimes. You're my everything, and if I'm not with you, I want to die. And you know, all of those very crazy love story stuff. It shows actually what is going on from the inside of the heart. People are looking for love. They're looking it all over the place. It can only be found in God. So what did Jesus do? Talking still about the kingdom and your part in it. He says in Matthew 4, 18 and 19, he says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, his son, is inviting people. So like, listen, when you follow me, I will start doing something in your life that you cannot do yourself. And as the consequence of it, other people around you start wanting that as well. He is inviting you and I into the story of the kingdom of God. So what will it take for you and me to become such a person? A kingdom of God person. Well, first of all, and that is probably a very tough one, but it's where it starts, is submission to his rule wholeheartedly. We are not submitting because Jesus is looking at us angrily with a whip. It's like, submit to me, you sinner. That is not Jesus. But when Jesus says, you want to follow me, you have to be all in. It cannot be a little bit of you and a little bit of Jesus. It has to be all Jesus. Because this walk with the Lord, you and I, we cannot pull it off in our own strength. And that's very easy to say. No, of course we cannot walk in our own strength. But think about the moments in your own life, in my life, that we worried about certain things in life. And we actually felt a burden upon our shoulders that actually is not supposed to be there. That is a sure sign that we are gravitating gradually, and it goes sometimes in little, little steps towards a space where we are relying probably too much on our own strength, on, our, on ourselves. What did God say? What did Jesus actually say in Matthew 6, 33? But seek first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You know what he was talking about when he was saying all these things? If you read Matthew chapter 6, it talks about clothing. It talks about money. It talks about provision. It's talking about not caring too much about the stuff of life. He's simply saying this. When you seek me first with your whole heart, with everything you've got, Whatever your bank account might be saying, whatever the situation is that your family might be facing, I've got it covered. I'm, I'm with you. Secondly, what is important for us to become a kingdom person is to start having a different perspective, a kingdom perspective on life on this earth. 
Matthew 4.23, it says this, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Remember what I said, Jesus came to set the captives free, the sick, the poor. He is inviting us in that same story to set people free. We don't do that in our own strength. I just said, like, we have to rely fully on Jesus. But he is inviting us into that very same story. It reminds me of a story in closing. Um, a couple of years ago, I noticed that in Holland there was something very special going on. I remember that when I became a Christian, I didn't know a lot of Christians in my life at all. I didn't know a lot of youngsters that were Christians, in my family for sure not. And that was a tough time. That wasn't an easy time. And for many years I walked with the Lord and I didn't see much change, not just in my family, but even in the nation. That was actually not just walking, was sprinting away from God, running away from God. Now I went to Brazil, I lived there for, for many years. And the, time I, the day I came back and set my foot on, on, on the soil in, back in Amsterdam, in the most liberal city probably in the world, people know this city for not so good stuff, so to speak, I noticed that something had shifted. Not just in the church, but also outside of the church, and I saw young people being on fire. Not all of them, but some of them. And they, they were truly seeking God and His kingdom. And it wasn't just that. I saw people that I knew that were friends that something had shifted. And they started to preach the gospel in ways that I hadn't seen before. It caught my curiosity. And I called one of my friends. He's an evangelist. So like, listen, I have been in Brazil and I've seen many things happening, but I've never seen it happening in a country like the Netherlands. Can we hang out together and perhaps go out on the streets and, and I don't know, share the gospel and, and perhaps pray for some people? And he agreed with me. He's like, yeah, sure, no problems. I thought like, well, you know what? I didn't grow up as a Christian and for many years I didn't see much of the miraculous and God doing stuff in, in, in Holland, so to speak. At least I couldn't see it, but at least I had the privilege to show it to my children. So I told Joshua, it's like, Josh, can you come with me? We go to the very center of Amsterdam, to Dam Square, which is the very heart. It would be like Northbridge here in Perth, all right? And these evangelists are like, you know what? We're going to share about the love of Jesus, but we're going to do something else as well. I see Tara already, already is like, oh, this is good. Bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> We were praying for people, and some of these people, not all of them, but some of these people that were sick got healed, just like this. As a matter of fact, Josh, I think he was 11 or 12 years old, shy, wondering, like, you know, I'm gonna pray for people on the streets. Dad, are you crazy? And we were in this, in this big crowd of people, and there were many Muslim people there, youngsters, they had a school trip. And the evangelist, my friend, said, like, um, Joshua, can you pray for that guy over there? He, he wants to receive prayer. He had a problem with his foot. Now, you can imagine, Joshua, 11, 12 years old, he's looking at me, he's looking at the evangelist, he became suddenly very conscious about himself, and said, like, I'm going to pray for that guy. I'm like, okay. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Guess what happened? He got healed. He got healed. All of a sudden, this Muslim guy was probably in his late teens, so to speak. He looked at George. He's like, what are you doing with my life? What are you doing? The next person said, like, hmm, I'm interested in that as well. So the evangelist pitched in and started to pray. So like, I'm painting my shoulder. He placed his hand, be healed in Jesus' name. God healed as well. I was a little bit like, hmm, sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit surprised by these things because even though I had some, have seen some healings happening, I never saw it in the Netherlands. Can you relate to that sometimes in Australia where you have a lot of people that might say that they're Christians but their walk doesn't show anything but that? God calls you and me to be part of a kingdom people that has a different perspective on life. This is not just for the enthusiasts that are going out on the streets. This is for everyone. That might be healing. Amen. It might be simply giving a person a cup of water and saying, like, bless you. I love you. Jesus loves you. It might be as simple as that. I'm just giving one example. He is calling you and me not just to talk about the good news, but to actually to show it to people. What do we call it here in church? We call it love in action. And that for me is so encouraging to see. And I hear many reports here in Perth, and sometimes Tari, when he goes out on the streets, and others as well, they share the stories of stuff that's going on. I'm pretty sure at Wildway, you hear those stories as well. The beautiful thing of it is that the pressure is not on you and me to now think, oh, the pastor is asking me now to go out on the street and heal every single person that we find. No, I'm not saying that. As a matter of fact, sometimes we talk ourselves into pressure and stuff that we think we need to do. The thing is, there is zero pressure on us at all. Because you and I, we cannot heal anyone. But we can be used as vessels through which God's power starts to flow. Amen. And it's not just for healing. It's also for ministry. And I'm not just talking ministry here in church. Your job is a ministry, so to speak, as well. Sometimes we like to make things happen, hoping that our ministry becomes a success. And how often do you sense, like, wait a second, I'm getting stressed about this whole thing. I try to make things happen. Things are not moving forward. Could it be that maybe we are putting ourselves in a position where we are actually not able to receive it because we are trying it so hard ourselves? So ask yourself a very simple question. How would God's kingdom look like in your school, in your workplace, in your own family, in your neighbor, neighborhood? You see, the thing is, we don't need to learn so much more thinking, now I am prepared to go out and make the difference in the world. I hear that so many people say, like, I don't know this, I don't know that. The fact is, you have everything you already need right here, right now. Amen. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Amen. I, I'm going to read it again. It says in Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Godhead, God made room in your heart, in my heart, 
And when you allow him more and more to operate in that space, where you surrender to him, it's like, you know what? It's not about my will, but his will. Your ministry, your work, your family, the situation that God has placed you in, start to shift and start to change. We don't do it in our own strength. For me, that's very comforting. It means that the pressure is not on me trying to make church happen. There is no pressure there. Jesus said in John 20, 21, he said this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. God is looking for kingdom-minded people that said, you know what, I'm all in with God. I'm not going to hold anything back. I want to go all the way. And I am willing to say, like, you know what, maybe things that I couldn't see in the past, I'm willing to receive what you are seeing in this world, and I'm receiving that. Regardless of where you are in your walk with the Lord, whether you're a baby Christian, whether you're already walking with the Lord for many years, God is calling all of us into this space to be kingdom-minded people. Amen. When you see a person on the street, he needs a glass of water, you can serve him. You can be Jesus to that person. When there is somebody sick, you can pray for him. Of course you can. And believing that God will heal him. Yeah, but what if he wouldn't? Sometimes we are so eager not to pray because we're so afraid that God will not come through. But God still is calling us, listen, go out. I will be with you. I give you my authority. Go for it. Don't hold back because perhaps of past experiences of stuff that didn't work. Just go out and share the gospel with people. I'm seeing here people that God is looking at and saying, like, you know what? I see so much potential and so much in you. The question is, do you see it yourself as well? He's simply calling you to say, listen, I have given everything already to you. My spirit, he lives inside of you. And regardless of what the situation is that you might be in right now, his spirit can make the change. Let's bow our heads as we <coughs> reflect upon this word.